for tonight's episode. I would like to continue with the book, How to Be an Adult in Relationships, The Five Keys to Mindful Loving by David Rico. So, yesterday, I ended on the paragraph that talks about how mindfulness is a watchfulness more than watching. I'm going to begin with the following paragraph. Mindfulness is thus a courageous venture because it is trusting that we have it in us to hold and tolerate our feelings, to grant them hospitality no matter how frightening they may seem, to live with them in equipoise. We then discover a strength within us that is the equivalent of self-discovery. From that self-esteem comes effective relating with others. Because mindfulness leads us to let go of ego by letting go of fear and grasping, it is an apt tool for healthy relating. It makes us present to others purely without the buffers of the neurotic ego. We simply stay with someone as he is, noticing and not judging. We take what a partner does as information without having to censor or blame. In doing this, we put space around an event rather than crowding it with our own beliefs, fears, and judgments. Such mindful presence frees us from constricting identification with another's actions. A healthy relationship is one in which there are more and more such spacious moments. Before I continue on, I would like to say that this paragraph is something that I needed to hear and be reminded of, and this is why I love this book so much, because it reminds me what a healthy relationship is and what it isn't because as much as I try to live by these ideals I do tend to forget and reminders such as those in this book are very humbling because It's important in a healthy relationship 
person's actions just as information without having to put our filter on that information. As it says, we take a partner, we take what a partner does as information without having to censure or blame. And this can be something difficult to do. Sometimes when we're attached to certain outcomes or desires, and it's normal to have these desires, but it's important to just accept things as they are and not to put our filter on them. And this is something I have to practice and that I've improved and gotten better on, but definitely still not something that I would say I can do all the time. It's a work in progress, and I suppose my intentionality about it being a work in progress is the important part here, because as we said earlier in the previous episode, no one and nothing is perfect, and the important part is to be intentional towards working for a healthier version of ourselves and our relationships. Not perfection, but just more authenticity and more respect and more space for mindfulness and true acceptance without judgment and fear. Okay, now to continue on with the book. Mindfulness is a path to giving others the five A's, the essential components of love and respect and support. The word mindfulness is a translation of Sanskrit words meaning attend and stay. Thus, we pay attention and we stay with someone in his or her feelings and is in his or her here and now predicament. When I accept someone in this serene way, shifts occur in me and both of us begin to discover the skillful means to more appreciative affection and commitment. To accept is also the first step toward letting go of control and allowing freedom. Thus, this mindful acceptance is our working basis for relationships. The five A's are the results of and conditions for mindfulness. Again, to just say what the five A's are if you haven't listened to the previous episodes. They are attention, affection, allowing, appreciation, and acceptance. Those are the five A's of mindful loving. Mindfulness is inherent in human nature. We were built to pay attention to reality. Indeed, paying attention is a survival technique. Over the years, though, we learned to escape and take refuge in illusory sanctuaries built by an ego frightened of reality. We notice that it is easier to believe what will make us feel better, and we feel entitled to expect that others will be what we need them to be. These are man-made chains that look like links to happiness, but once we commit ourselves to experience divested of ego wishes and attachments, we begin to act straightforwardly, becoming truthful with one another. We relax into the moment, and it becomes a source of immense curiosity 
present comes at the wrong time for someone who needs first to explore the past and be free of its stubborn grip. This is why both psychological work for individuation and spiritual practice for egolessness will always be required as dual requisites for the enlightenment of beings as beautifully and mysteriously designed as we. Meditation is not to be attempted in any serious way if we are not psychologically ready for it. At the same time, we can begin simple meditation daily as an adjunct to psychotherapeutic work. This book advocates working on the psychological and the spiritual simultaneously and in bite-sized chunks. This is based on the fact that some spiritual attitudes contribute to psychological health and vice versa. For instance, the spiritual attitude of acceptance helps us bear necessary and appropriate grief, while the psychological ability of assertiveness helps us stand up for justice for ourselves and others, and so increases our compassion. The Buddhist social activist and author Ken Jones says, Systems of maturation like Buddhism teach that it is only through unflinchingly facing our afflictions and opening unreservedly to our feelings that we can come to experience an empowerment that is other than this trembling self of the ego. When ego is deposed, mindfulness leads to the higher self, Jung's approximation of Buddha mind. This self is unconditional love, perennial wisdom, and healing power, the very qualities that foster evolution. We are never without it. To find ourselves spiritually is to acknowledge our destiny to use our ego skills to serve the purposes of the self. Thus, we strive for intimacy with the whole universe, not just with one person. After all, we cannot expect from a partner what can only come from the self, the higher self, or the universe, or the higher power. This is why pursuing our own spiritual path is so important to the health of a relationship. Mindfulness does not mean that we have no desires, simply that we are not possessed by them. We may feel fear and desire, but they no longer drive shame or stop us. Instead, we hold them without the elaborations our brain so habitually adds. We handle fear and enjoy desire and move past both of them with ease, like Ulysses, who heard the siren song and sailed on. As the Tibetan Buddhist teacher, Chokyam Trungpa Rinpoche said, go through it, get into it, experience it. Then the most powerful energies become absolutely workable rather than taking you over, because there is nothing to take over if you are not putting up any resistance. This last quote by Chokyam Trungpa Rinpoche is resonating with me so hard right now. I'm going to repeat the quote. Go through it. Give into it. Experience it. Then the most powerful energies become absolutely workable rather than taking you over. Because there is nothing to take over if you are not putting up any resistance. So many things are going through my mind as I hear and read this quote. 
first of all, the Tibetan Buddhist teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, he is uh, the founder of my dream school where I would like to get my master's, Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. He founded this school. And so that is like one, one synchronicity here that I'm resonating with. The second thing is my friend Sarah Isaacman. She has uh, shared a similar quote today in the meditation group that I attend. And it had something to do with not putting up resistance. And recently she shared about how sometimes we can have like really quote-unquote bad days where we don't want to get out of bed and we just, you know, we just want to stay in bed or we just like don't feel like doing anything or we feel down and we don't necessarily understand why. And it's important to stay with that and to not fight it and to just sit with the sadness and just experience it because it's easier to let go of it if you can go through it rather than trying to go around it or trying to shut it out or put it away. And um, I've definitely been resonating with that recently in this past week of fluctuating emotions and feeling mostly good, but there are those times when it just hits me and I feel sad or I get triggered by something and a part of me just wants to shut it out so badly and just move on with my optimism. But there is something, such a thing as toxic optimism or toxic positivity and that's not healthy. It's important to stay and sit with our sadness to experience real peace on the other side because in order to release or let go of something, we must experience it and, and go through it. We can't just go around something. Um, and I think often we, we tell ourselves we can or we try to and we just make our suffering worse because we were resisting it instead of just feeling it. Um, and the last thing I want to say about this is um, it's reminding me of the song Let It Happen by Damon Paula. If any of you are familiar with that artist, um, just they have very, very, I personally think very divine um, wisdom in their songs. And yes, that's, that's the last thing I want to say about that is... Um, Listen to the song, Let It Happen, by Damon Paula. I think it goes really well with this quote. Okay. Before I continue on, let me see how many more paragraphs, because I am about to um, start section three of chapter one, and looks like it's not a short section, so... I think what I'll do is just read maybe two or three pages. Yeah, I think I'll do two or three pages for tonight. Let's 
let's see how far I can get. Okay, so beginning section 3 of chapter 1 of part 1. This section is called A Positive Spin on How It Was and Is. It may seem like a sign of weakness to have needs. Actually, needs direct us to grow in the ways we were meant to. Childhood yearnings for attention, acceptance, appreciation, affection, and the experience of being allowed to be ourselves are not pathological but developmental. In trying to get a parent to pay attention to us, we were seeking what we needed for our healthy evolution. We were not being selfish but self-nurturing, and there's no need to feel ashamed about it now. Childhood forces influence present choices, for the past is a continuum with the present. Early business that is still unfinished does not have to be a sign of immaturity. Rather, it can signal continuity. Recurrence of childhood themes in adult relationships gives our life depth in that we are not superficially passing over life events, but inhabiting them fully as they evolve. Our past becomes a problem only when it leads to a compulsion to repeat our losses or smuggles unconscious determinants into our decisions. Our work, then, is not to abolish our connection to the past, but to take it into account without being at its mercy. The question is how much the past interferes with our chances at healthy relating and living in accord with our deepest needs, values, and wishes. I think I'm going to take a drink of water before I continue on, because I am very thirsty. Okay, so I'm back, but I actually think that I'm getting tired, and um, the left side of my back, upper back, just randomly started, like, aching a little bit, and so I think I need to get in bed, but I always have a goal of recording at least... 20 minutes on one of these episodes, and I've done a little over 20 minutes tonight, so I've met my goal, and I'm gonna practice some self-care, and I will talk to you lovely people tomorrow. I hope that you have found this relaxing, and that you are drifting off to sleep, or at least feeling more relaxed and perhaps gain some new insights on yourself and on people. Thank you for joining me tonight.